1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 294 being recorded on Sunday, July 31st, 2022. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back,
0: Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, we have had a plethora of vacations. Uh, Jason did a business trip he's going to report on over at NRF. And then I had a little COVID uh, situation, so it's been the universe
1: has been trying to keep us from
0: podcasts. So it's great to be back in the saddle tonight, Jason.
1: I am uh, thrilled to be chatting with you on a rare Sunday night. This is unusual for us. It is. It is. Usually
0: we watch our Disney movies, have a little popcorn, and and uh, call it an evening. But tonight we're gonna throw down a podcast.
1: We I feel like we need to get ahead a little bit because you know there's a new Game of Thrones uh, series coming soon. I know, and Lord of the Rings. We got a lot, a lot of geekdom. Um, kind of happening all at once here. Exciting stuff. And even more exciting than all of that, Scott, uh, uh, I, I'm super grateful that you're, uh, feeling well and recovered. Um, but, uh, mental picture for all our listeners. I have a mild version of what Jason considers a tan for the show, which is super rare. Wow. And that is because you went to a that uh, summer
0: NRF show that's out in a ranch somewhere. Tell, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I doubled down. So I had a week of vacation in Upper Lake Michigan, and then I went straight from there, as one does when you work hard uh, to a quote unquote work trip, uh, which is in Ranchos Palos Verdes at the Tierra New uh, Resort on the beach in Southern California. Cool. And then, um, so I've been to an
0: NRF event this time of year that was called the merchandise or the merch conference.
1: Is that what you went to? You are old school. So, uh, originally when shop.org and NRF were two separate entities, uh, shop.org had a, a fall, a summer event at this resort that was exclusively focused on like digital merchandising. And you're exactly right. It was a great event called the merch summit. Uh, and so this is kind of the spiritual successor to that. Then NRF also had a event at the same time of year that was called the CIO summit where all the CIOs got together. And so they've kind of mashed those two events together, changed them a little bit, uh, tried to make it even more inclusive. And they now call it NRF Nexus. And so it's focused on, uh, really forward looking, uh, trends and technologies that are relevant to, e-commerce professionals to digital leaders to cios and to cmos so there was uh you know kind of like senior execs across uh it marketing and uh digital all in attendance nice nice and then what was the was there a topic uh to the event um or what, what so there are a range of forward-looking topics uh Like, probably the trend, the topic that got brought up most were various aspects of the metaverse. Um, And some of those conversations uh, came very close to getting me kicked out of the event.
0: Mm, Okay. Because you are,
1: because I've become, VR headsets, I've become a huge curmudgeon. Uh, (laughs) I know that's shocking to listeners who find me like wildly optimistic. Uh, But, you know, we had a lot of outside speakers talking about the metaverse Um and I, like spoiler alert, I think the metaverse is super interesting. Uh It absolutely could be an important part of the future. And when people say metaverse, they're mostly talking about three things that don't necessarily go together, but can, which is like NFTs and blockchain stuff. They're talking about the actual metaverse, which is kind of like, you know, virtual reality. And they're uh, also talking about Web 3.0 uh and so they brought in a bunch of authors and subject matter experts that are super bullish and are like it's a foregone conclusion that the future is web 3 and everyone's going to abandon web 2 and if you haven't already gone your uh, uh leases and secured your property in the metaverse then you're you're stupid and you're going to lose huge sums of money um and i disagree with most of that like i i, I feel like it's it's wildly more up in the air than that and like at the moment first movers that have tried to do commerce things in the metaverse have made more mistakes than not and so i spent a fair amount of time like debunking some of those claims and highlighting some of the catastrophic mistakes that people have been making when they when they try to make a splash in the metaverse without really knowing what they're doing and uh uh, i i i choose to believe that the attendees appreciated that counter perspective but i don't think some of the the speakers appreciated being challenged. <laughs> we'll have to do a deep dive where you essentially just dump on the metaverse. Yeah. Jason dumps on the metaverse. Well, or It'll be part of our curmudgeon series. Yeah. A dose of reality about them. Again, it could be a big thing. I'm not saying it's not, I'm just saying it's not a guaranteed big thing. Um, and then a close cousin of that, that I spoke <laughs> on was, uh, the future of artificial intelligence for commerce. And I'm kind of, and we've talked about this before, but I'm kind of a curmudgeon on that as well, only because I think focusing on artificial intelligence is kind of silly. Like to me, artificial intelligence is a tactic, not an outcome. And there are a bunch of super exciting outcomes that are made much better by using artificial intelligence. And so I talked about some use cases that I'm super excited about. Um But but I, you know, caveat that with they're not super exciting just because of the math that causes them to be artificial intelligence. They're super exciting because uh, they help people find more stuff to buy and have more successful shopping trips. Cool. Well, that's uh, that's definitely out there. And we
0: have a history on this show of giving our listeners more of the hot truth of what's going on right now. So it was a it was a really interesting second quarter reporting period. So we wanted to spend the bulk of our time today reporting on that why don't you lay the scene for us uh, mr. US Department of Commerce what what's uh what are things feeling like there and then you know I think we're all pretty read in on the macro that consumer confidence is, is like what like 10 20 year lows inflations at 40year highs and we had two quarters of negative growth that used to be called a recession but no longer is called a recession yeah so um, good read yeah, so, <laughs> so that's kind of the macro backdrop, and then then uh I saw you had done your normal uh really great analysis of the u s department of commerce what what's that looking like
1: yeah, and there's not a lot like super game changing in the in the monthly data from the u s department of commerce i like i as you just kind of called out, i feel like we've just made this transition from overheated economy due to uh, stimulus and extra COVID demand and certainly a greater level of uncertainty and fluctuation, but like in general, really robust retail sales to now we're having really robust retail sales because of inflation. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, looking at the numbers, they're pretty consistent with the last couple months of numbers we've seen. And so in general, like July retail sales were up 8.3% from July of last year and year to date, all retail sales from from January through July of this year are up 8.8% from uh, July of last year. So ordinarily we would expect retail to be up, I'll call it, you know, three to four and a half points. So being up 8.8 is a a significantly higher growth. Um, Obviously a chunk of that growth is fairly attributed to inflation and people having to spend more. uh, But you know, inflation is kind of, I feel like is misunderstood and people talk about it, about it being one number. Consumers spend a bunch of money on a big basket of goods and the amount of inflation on each item in that basket of goods varies wildly, right? So the amount of inflation we're seeing in gasoline um, and certain food items is really high. Um, consumer electronics are actually deflating. It's a, you'll get a cheaper TV this year than you did last year, right? So, <laughs> um, so you know, if you break down into the segments, uh, segments that have high inflation and that, you know, we're, we're negatively affected by the pandemic. The last couple of years are killing it right now. So it's a great time to own a gas station, like ga- uh, gas stations are up 50% year over year. <laughs> yes. Cool. Um And then it's too early to get the online number from the
0: U S department of commerce, right? That that's got a
1: pretty Yeah. We don't unit. have the quarterly number, but the, the proxy that we do get is this like non-store sales and that's up 9.6% from last year. So we're, where the brick-and-mortar number is up more than you would usually expect. The, the non-store sales or e-commerce is up even higher, but probably a little lower than you would ordinarily expect. We're kind of used to that kind of 12 to 15% growth. Yeah. The, um, and so, you know, 10% growth is a, is a little bit lower. That's because that, they've got a comp problem, because last year was such a surge year with COVID. Ex- exactly, yep.
0: exactly. Okay, so that's one setup. And then the other one was, um, for some reason, we've entered this interesting period where Snapchat uh, is one of the first companies to report. and uh, They need to change that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think – I'm not sure they like it because in our recaps, they've been kind of the first one to take it on the nose. And it wasn't any different this quarter. So July 21st, they came out, and it was just a total miss and lower and a poop show because last quarter, they basically said – we got a handle on this, we know what's going on with IDFA. And um, I'm gonna do another victory lap on this because I feel like you and I were like super early on IDFA and it's really coming home to roost in interesting ways. And Snapchat continues to be a um, non-beneficiary of those changes. But then in addition to that, um, you know, you're know, you more in the ad business than I am, but I've got to imagine that when you see recessionary headwinds and and everyone's tucking in their expenses, one of the first things that you look at is your ad spend, right? And, you know, maybe uh, it's not a great place to be if your Snapchat basically saying, hey, uh, you know, we're not really good anymore at measuring what's going on with your ads (laughs) because it feels like, I guess, people would cut that. They've also become, you know, one of the smaller platforms. So I imagine they're probably out on an experimental ring of, of ad spend and maybe they get cut from that too. So they, they had a double whammy of uh, both kind of micro meaning IDFA and then macro softness. So that was just a total, total nightmare uh, quarter for them.
1: Yeah. No, it wasn't pretty. I a hundred percent agree. Like I do think we, we called it that IDFA was going to be pretty substantial to some of these businesses, but I do think, some of their, like they they were mostly trying to blame it all on IDFA. And I, I do think there's some softness in digital marketing spend right now, right? Like as you go in a recession, um, it's not the right thing to do, but you know, a lot of people that are nervous about their economic future are, you know, slow down their marketing spend, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like when, when you start to skid on the ice. You know, it's not very smart to hit the brakes, but it's human nature to hit the brakes, and yeah. and you know, so people people are doing that right now, and I think some of their their softness, and then you know, some of the softness in the other ad platforms we're going to talk about, uh, is is related to that recessionary fear and the ongoing impacts of of uh the the various privacy initiatives.
0: Yeah. So then we were all like, okay, that's. That's Snapchat. Maybe it's isolated. And then we had five days till Google was going to announce um, or slash Alphabet. They're called. I will always call them Google. Uh, And then there was a surprise announcement on July 24th. Walmart um, basically came out and said, hey, we need to update our guidance that they had already lowered um, for the quarter. Uh, And they basically said sales are decent, but uh, profits are going to be way below kind of what we were talking about. And they specifically called out some inventory problems. So the CEO, they they now have, everyone has, a there's like 16 CEOs at Walmart or something. But the CEO of US said, um, there's probably 20% of inventory. If you could just wish it away and make it disappear, you would. Uh, and then around that same time, Target also came out. And, and I think theirs was even more severe. Um, and then Walmart called out uh, apparel as a problem area where, Basically, I guess when you look at kind of your your wallet where you're spending money, there's always, um, you can't live without groceries, but you can live without like that 10th pair of socks or or a new outfit or something like that. So it seems like consumers are definitely slowing down dramatically on the apparel side. Um, did you parse anything else out of the Walmart announcement?
1: Yeah. I mean, those, I feel like those were the main two takeaways, like Walmart in particular, it like they're they reduce their guidance from like eleven percent profit to one percent profit, right? So pretty meaningful. um and essentially, what they said is, hey, we're starting to see significant changes in consumer behavior as a result of the recession and or as a result of the inflation, I should say. and the um the specific behavior we're seeing is people are spending more on essentials and less on non-essentials. and the non-essentials are more profitable for us. So our mix, is getting less profitable which is why we're adjusting our guidance and it also means that we have too much of these non-essentials we were already you know heavy on them because we overordered uh during all the supply chain crisis and now we're having trouble moving them so uh, walmart didn't say this but a lot of other pundits have said this like you can expect to see all these goods at walmart and and target start to really get discounted and in one weird way that's potentially good news for the economy because that that could actually help counter some of the inflation that everyone's talking about. Yeah, you know, ten percent profit change at Walmart's like a
0: forty billion dollar number.
1: Um, yeah, I will say, now. and you yeah. you're the stock market guy. I am not right, so not shocking. You come out and you revise your guidance and uh, significantly down like that, and not so shocking. Your your stock takes a pretty big haircut, right? So everyone wrote articles talking about the dip in the stock. I happen to peek at the stock right before we. Uh, went on the show and it's back. It's completely rebuilt. <laughs> yeah, it's always better to take your medicine. And
0: then if you're going to do it, kitchen sink it and throw in some stuff because it's an expectation machine, not necessarily an absolute loot machine. Okay, so then everyone was like, well, that's not good, but maybe it's isolated to stores. Let's see what Shopify does. Uh, well, then... Well, then Google came out and Google was mixed, um, probably less bad than people thought. So their core business, which is people going to google.com and typing in stuff, um, it, it exceeded expectations, but their ad business, um, and then their YouTube business were under pressure and, and they basically kind of counteracted each other where they did talk about, you know, more macro headwinds around the ad world and that advertisers were pulling back. So they, they kind of added on to that Snapchat message of, of some softness with adsmen.
1: Yeah. And just for Google followers, I would add, you know, they're interested in commerce, commerce, particularly interesting. Just remember, like the president of Google commerce recently left, uh, Bill Ready to go to Pinterest, right? So they, they haven't announced a new head yet. Like I'm expecting them to call me any day. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But, uh, uh, previously one of the things they'd really been leaning into was YouTube for commerce and they've added a ton of commerce capability to YouTube. Um, and it, uh, at the very least, it doesn't seem like that's paying off quite yet, uh, in the Google world. Yeah.
0: And then everyone was like, well, let's see what Shopify does in, um, so let's see after market closed, 26 was Google. And then everyone was expecting Shopify to do something the next morning. Well, in that evening, uh, Toby put out a blog post saying, Hey, we're laying off 10% of folks. Uh, and then everyone was like, Oh boy, that's not good. The quarter must be really, really bad. Um, And uh, it was really interesting, um, you know, to his credit, I think Toby did a really good job in his blog post. It's never easy to do these types of layoffs. And I thought he did an exceptional job of laying out why and, you know, essentially taking the blame for it, basically saying he made a bet that this would be a pull forward. Um, It was, you know, uh, you know, and then when you're in the thick of it, you that was a logical thing to think could happen. Um, and instead now we're reverting to the mean and they had gotten way out ahead of their skis. What did you think about? Um, and then the next morning, uh, because they had taken their medicine, um, it wasn't quite as bad. And and then Wall Street actually likes it when Shopify gets rid of expenses because they've added their, you know, that's like a thousand people to them that they laid off uh, or 10%. So they've grown their head count up to this kind of astronomical 10,000 folks. Um, and then they you know, it was one of those a little quizzical because then they said, you know, it's not going to change our ability to innovate or do anything, basically. So then you're kind of like, wow, I wonder, wonder, A, how does it feel to be one of those thousand people hearing that part of the message? Uh, and then B, you know, what did they do that you didn't really need them? And they were in the sales. They have all these content management people. Um, so kind of not developers, not product. And and so part of their message was they were going to double, triple down on on product development and adding features.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see how it plays out. I got uh, a ton of pings after that announcement because, uh, everybody did a victory lap on my corpse, right? Like everybody's calling and going, haha, Mr. e-commerce guy. Uh, e-commerce was an anomaly. Like it was, it was big during the, um, the pandemic, but, but now it's all gone. See, even Toby like over in e-commerce and then he had to come out and say that e-commerce sucks now. Um, and so a, I, I got a bunch of those uh kind of um troll tweets that i I had to respond to um and you know I have my own kind of issues slash concerns with shopify so hey i I would say that shopify's actually been slower than I would like to see in product development leading up to this and in particular, they have a product that's aimed at more enterprises and less like tiny businesses that's called um shopify plus, and most of the folks I talk to that have invested in Shopify plus have been pretty disappointed with the rate of innovation and product development on that platform. And a bunch of the people that got laid off were the teams associated with Shopify plus. So that seems interesting uh, to me. And I will tell you that like in Toby's announcement, he published this, this uh, us department of commerce e-com data, um, which of course you and I are super familiar with. And we talk about all the time, um, but he, he accurately represented it, right? Like that, there's e-commerce has been at the certain rate and during the, you know, from 2020 to 2022, we had this crazy spike and, you know, if you look at where it is now and you draw a dotted line to the growth you would have expected before the, the pandemic, like the, the line is barely above where you would have expected. So they, they called that regressing to the mean and, you know, gosh, we, we exuberantly over-invested in, uh. Now that it's come back to the mean, we have to right size ourself. Uh And so the only thing that's wrong with that graph is uh, it's kind of a. It visually doesn't represent the huge amount of growth that's in the mean, <laughs> like the, the mean is very high. So from 2020 to 2022, we added four hundred and twelve billion dollars a year of e-commerce sales. So e-commerce in the United States of America grew 61% from 2020 to 2022. So when, when Shopify and others say, Oh man, we, uh, COVID didn't boost e-commerce as much as we thought. We only grew 61% over the last two years. Um, like how many people did you hire? Right. Like you, did you, you, they didn't add 61% to their, their staff commensurate with that growth. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I take exception with people that think, that, uh, this, this data in some way shows some, some significant softness. And the other thing I would say is all of these graphs that these people are talking about, they all like to show the percentage of e-commerce to total retail. And it's easy to overlook and forget the fact that the denominator in that, that ratio has been fluctuating wildly because of COVID.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then. You know, the other thing that misses is the it's like almost like a pie chart where you don't see the absolute dollars. So so percentages are a tricky thing. It's going to be a better way to visualize it. Yeah. One scary thing is maybe we don't revert to the mean like uh, we, the, you know, the lines. We haven't had enough time to know until that starts ticking up. You know, we won't know if we're back on the mean or not. So who knows?
1: Yeah, I think no, we will. But. no, for sure. But I get, you know, <laughs> like I mean, will do a, maybe a Shopify deep dive at some point, but like to me, uh, Shopify does is great product for small businesses. It, it caters to this long tail. And my biggest gripe with Shopify as an investor is always that they never tell you what their same source sales are. Like they never tell you how well last year's customers did this year. They just tell you the GMV of all the customers they currently have. And so as far as we know, uh, more than 50% of their customers go out of business every year. And then, you know, 50% of new mom and pop start a, start a business and sign up with Shopify. So the, unlike a lot of other retail platforms that report their, their data and when they grow, we can kind of assume e-commerce grew, uh, Shopify's growth can be 100% attributed to churn. We just don't know. Yeah. So then it was Thursday morning, the 27th, and Meta, uh, formerly
0: known as Facebook, announced and that was a poop show. So they had a miss of top and bottom and their second quarter of declining growth. They threw the kitchen sink in there. IDFA. They're seeing macro issues. Um, Sheryl Sandberg is leaving, and this has been announced for a while. And then all the talking heads were like, oh, my God, you know, she went out at the top. This is kind of the end of Facebook. So so that was, that was pretty, pretty negative uh, sentiment there. And then that brings us to the main topic we want to talk about, which is after hours on
1: Thursday, Amazon announced. And Scott, Anything? one thing before you jump into Amazon, mm-hmm. like you forgot the most important thing about meta. Uh, what? The Kardashians are mad at them.
0: Oh yes. They changed Instagram and Kim is, uh, I don't, I haven't tracked this. You know it better than I do.
1: Yeah. I'm just, uh, well, it is an interesting thing. We'll do another show about this at some point, but like uh, Instagram is, has probably been the crown jewel of, of uh, meta for a while um And, uh, you know, Instagram is getting a lot of competition from TikTok. The, the news feed in TikTok is a lot more algorithmic. So the content you see is less related to who you particularly follow and more what the robots think they want to show you and that they, you know, can monetize. And so uh, Facebook, to try to follow suit is changing Instagram to be more algorithmic and less mm. uh, based on your followers. And so if you're a mega influencer with 30 million followers, you don't like that, right? Like if you're Kim Kardashian, you want everyone to see all of your content because they followed you. You don't want them to see some unknown person that did something viral. Um, and so the, the change that Instagram made is to be more like TikTok and, you know, some of these big... Big influencers that benefited from the old model, understandably, don't like it and are and are criticizing it. Got it. Um, yeah, we should definitely do a Kardashian deep dive.
0: How fun will that be?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, I'll finally uh, be able to let Kylie on the show, and so she'll stop bugging us. Good, good. Uh, okay,
0: so uh, if you've been listening, to this recap. There's two words I haven't said, and those are beat and race. Um, so then Thursday night, Amazon came out and everyone was like, oh, boy, this is going to be bad. Um, and there was a CNBC um, person who who uh, actually like a lot. His name's Josh, and he was basically he, – he they do this little lunchtime. Um, they have this investment committee, they call it, and he's had a short on Amazon because he kept thinking they were going to miss Q2. He basically said, look, with Walmart and Target basically reporting the way they have to think Amazon would do differently means they have some totally different customer base. I just don't think that's the case. So um, Amazon surprised everyone with a beat and raise quarter. So how did they do that with all this? You know, we've got Walmart surprise, miss Shopify, surprise, miss Google, less worse, meta, terrible Snapchat, total disaster. Um and then Amazon just kind of came out and surprised everyone. So so the one way to think about Amazon is this very unique business. And there's not a lot of, uh, you know, another company like this, that they have this portfolio of businesses they have built and they're all intertwined. But they have, I imagine they have, uh, this is my mental model is they have dials where they can turn up and down this portfolio of businesses because they're all intertwined. And that's one of the benefits of keeping this stuff together um, like when PayPal and eBay were together, there was some operational dynamics there that you could use to, um, you know, if you hit a certain speed bump or something, you could navigate that better. So Amazon, uh, has these things. So they've got the core retail business that, uh, which is lower margin, you know, it's a retail business, still profitable on its own, but, and not a great business, but a good business, uh, and, but like a massive scale, you know, hundreds, you know, what, $300 million plus annualized. Um, then you've got a third-party marketplace business that we talk a lot about, um, very profitable, uh, doing really well. You've got a smaller ad business, um, super profitable, doing really well, growing rapidly. AWS, the cloud component, now merchant services, which is essentially the monetization of the fulfillment center asset you had to build for the first piece. And um, my mental model is what they basically said was, well, we're heading into this period where you know, we've got all these recessionary things, consumers under pressure. Let's dial back on first party and dial up third party. And that really uh, won the day. So, so what they did is the third party as a percent, they don't really give us the GMV of each of these things, the, the total sales in each bucket. They give you a unit mix. So the unit mix was at an all-time high. Uh, I need a fact check on this. I'm 99% sure this is right. A five, 57% um, third party versus first party. Um, the highest previous to that was last quarter at 55%. Now you may say, well, that's 2%. How could that really make that big a difference? Well, that that's actually big because when a hundred dollars moves from the first party bucket, and you and I have talked about this a million times, but just to recap for listeners, um, in the first party bucket, the accounting is a uh, dollar is a dollar of revenue. In the third party, Amazon doesn't get to recognize the hundred dollar widget that sold; they only get to recognize their commission or take rate, which is about <clears> ten percent. <throat> so they lose ninety dollars if a do- if a, a widget moves between those things in revenue. But that ten dollars that's left is pure profit. It's almost like ninety nine percent profit. So, so if you really want to, you know, juice profits, you move things from the one p bucket to the three p bucket. Um, so, uh, and then also tell us about Prime.
1: Yeah, so uh, Prime is a little confusing this year because it it was in July, and historically that's when Prime Day has always been. Um, except uh, be, uh, this weird uh, COVID era that we've had. So, uh, you know, if you if you go back to 2020, um, they canceled Prime Day in July and instead had it in October. Um, and then the following year in 2021, they went back to summer. But instead of having it in July, like they always have, they had it earlier in June, which is a big deal because it's a quarter earlier. It's Q2 instead of Q3. So when we're looking at Q2 this year, we're comping against a Q2 that had Prime Day in it. Uh, And this year, Prime Day is in Q3. So this year, Prime Day is back to mid-July, which is July 12th and 13th. So a lot of extra uh, work and verbal gymnastics for the poor CFO on the earnings calls. (laughs) Yeah. So there was no benefit from
0: Prime in the quarter. So that didn't really, it neither hurt or helped. Yep. Um. So, even though third party carried the day, and I I kind of theoretically, so let's say, you know, let's say you're running one of these really large retail businesses and you're either a store based or an e commerce based. I feel like Amazon, because they have their products in a central location, they can be much more dynamic because, you know, think of the store networks that Target and Walmart have almost like an edge network, and that product gets pushed out to the edge. And then if you need to pivot for some reason, well, you've got a tough decision. You can, you can pull the product back. It's not really, the system's not really designed for that. It's mostly returns comes back, not like let me yank all the sweatshirts out of a, you know, store number 292 or something. Um, or you have to liquidate them and then you end up with this problem that you also, if your edge is full of stuff that's not really moving right now, you you can't really, uh, change that rapidly. You know, you've got like a 60, 90 day cycle to flush that out, to clear room for the stuff that's going to work. So, so I think that even, even though they did turn up these higher margin pieces to, to win the day, I think being an e-commerce um, you know, oriented retailer gives them a lot more flexibility in a world where inventory and consumer behaviors are changing rapidly. Do you agree or disagree with that?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I feel like their, their, uh, breadth of offerings and monetizations, uh, make them much safer, uh, than most other retailers. They have more levers to pull and more knobs to dial. Yeah. And then the other
0: thing, and, and, um, you know, uh, here, one of the reasons I started Spiffy is because we had talked so much on the show about the bifurcation where, you know, Casey Lobaugh has come on and, uh, talked about, the value-oriented consumer and the convenience-oriented consumer, and a lot of that data came from 08 and 09, the "quote-unquote" Great Recession. And you know what we learned during that recession is there is a consumer that is largely immune from recessionary, and in, at that point in time, we didn't have inflation. But I think I think it's kind of the same, the same kind of stew, if you will, of, of macroeconomic stuff that the consumer has to face. Whereas the value-oriented consumer was really impacted by it. So I will also, uh, you know, another argument I have is that that guy, Josh, on CNBC was wrong. There is a separate customer. Now, surely there's overlap and whatnot, but Amazon has captured all, if not, you know, 98% of that convenience-oriented consumer. And, um, you know, that is a great place to be when you have a lot of these recessionary wins because they're not as impacted as the value-oriented consumer.
1: Yeah, no, I, I do. Uh, I think you're 100% right. Like this gets complicated because these are such large numbers, but the way I think of it, there's 240 million households in the United States of America. There's more than 100 million, uh, prime households, right? So the, a, you know, a, a significant chunk of America shop Amazon and have prime hmm. 190 million households shop Walmart. So basically, all, you know, the vast majority of America except for rich people in New York and California shop Walmart. So you can't talk about, oh, there's a Walmart customer and there's an Amazon customer, because the vast majority of customers go to both places. But there's a core customer that spends most of their money at these two places that is likely very different, right? So there's these these higher um, net worth individuals that spend the bulk of their discretionary money at Amazon that are way more uh, insulated from inflation, than uh, the average Walmart consumer that spends the bulk of their money there. And then uh, a big difference in this inflationary period is if you're a core customer that shops at Walmart or Target, uh, you have more economic instability. So you're spending more of your dollars on essentials versus nice to haves, right? And guess where you get your essentials? Walmart and Target. Like that's still where you get your food. Um and so at Walmart, the mix shifts, right? Instead of buying a cool outfit, you're buying uh, more proteins for your family. Um, but that, that Amazon customer is both more affluent and therefore less impacted by, by inflation and they probably don't get their protein from Amazon, right? So like we, Amazon doesn't see their quote unquote essential spending. They only see their discretionary spending. So they don't have the same dynamics like causing their mix to shift to less profitable mixes in a recession so i do think in that way uh the the economic headwinds uh facing walmart and target are very different than the ones facing amazon
0: And you know, if you are getting your protein from amazon it's probably at a whole foods where i have a feeling that consumer's are pretty resilient yeah which Based on, on and again
1: prices. people do but like a, a statistically insignificant period of like Whole Food is less than four percent yeah. of the grocery market, so yeah, yeah. Well, are are like Kroger and those
0: folks feeling it? I, I don't track them as maybe
1: yeah as much as the, you. I, I, uh, so again, they have less discretionary items, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, they're they're doing pretty well. Um, like they're benefiting. Like a lot of the items in Kroger are are impacted by inflation, so their their sales are up. Um, the you know. Like the discretionary retailers are losing more dollars to the grocers. So it's it's um I'm not saying that that the grocers particularly love the current circumstances they're in, but but they are like if you navigate them right, they're economically favorable. But then because it's not Walmart where intro store,
0: you're making the choice. There's there's a loser somewhere and it's probably like a Macy's, a JCPenney are probably going to get hammered, I would imagine, because there's. You know, if Walmart's telling us people aren't aren't buying much apparel, then that's going to start rippling through
1: all these other places. Yeah. Or I'll give you an even more painful example bed, bath, and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they're not doing well.
0: Okay. Let's peel the onion on this a little bit. So revenue grew 7.2% year over year to 121.2 billion. um, And that exceeded the expectations of 119 billion by about 2 billion. Um, So not a huge, huge beat, but, you know, again, it was such a, a bad setup that that it seemed like you know a, a miracle in some ways north america so this is really interesting when you kind of look inside of revenue north america came in at 74 billion um and then expectation was 67 billion so that was a really that was almost like a 10% win but then international was a miss it was 27 versus uh 32 billion um uh, everything I forgot to say it at the top, but everything we do is outside of the impact of financial currency um, moves. Um, so it's called XFX in Wall Street parlance, which, which is important because the currency moves are gyrating around like crazy right now. Um, so you swirl that together, and that's where you get your North America was up seven, uh, international was off five. So that's how you get your two billion dollar win but it's really interesting because if you look at Amazon's North America they were up 14% year over year which compares very favorably to your US Department of Commerce data.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh and uh, again like I I look at this all in aggregate and say this is a a solid quarter in a challenging uh, climate for, for Amazon. And yeah, they, they outperformed, uh, the, the, the industry average, uh, despite being one of the largest players. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, a, a mere like less than a week after Walmart said they were going from kind of a 10% to 1% profit margin. Um, Amazon's gross margins improved 45% year over year versus the consensus 43%. So that, that was the one that really you know i think people are like well if they make revenue surely they're going to go out and readjust their profits and and it's going to be really hard um so they came in with an operating income of 3.3 billion um and this was interesting they called out an incremental 4 billion of of increased cost but that was offset from improved fulfillment center ops so i think what's going on is they built out the fulfillment center capacity so crazily in the you know since the pandemic that they were basically just standing them up and and just you know Getting stuff out as quickly as possible, and then um, you know this quarter they kind of came back and were they they use this phraseology invest and harvest. So they go in these different modes. So they were able to come out of invest mode and look around and say, well, you know, in 2020 we sure were setting up fulfillment centers kind of crazily. Let's you know we we need to tweak this this and this, and then one and a half billion dollars of operational efficiency came out of that. Um, they called out some areas that are um, increasing in expense are um, AWS expenses. So so those sit there and use a lot of electricity, which uh, a lot of electricity is off fossil fuels. Um, and then I think um, I think computers are getting more expensive. I guess that must be a chip-related thing. You said electronics, but that's probably like big screen TVs. Yep. Anyway, um, and then obviously they called out fuel as an area. And then they have a particularly large amount of money going into digital um, with the funding with digital content, with the funding of the Lord of the Rings series coming out, and then they also bought Thursday Night Football, so they called those out as as expense items. Um, and as I mentioned at the top, third party won the day. Uh, and then looking inside of there, we talked about that. Seller services grew nine point one percent year over year to twenty seven point four billion. And I think whenever any of these things you know grow faster than the the baseline of seven percent. And their higher margin, they're going to drop that much more dollars to the bottom line. Um. So there was that, and then uh, I don't know anything about ads, so I'll kick that one over to you.
1: Yeah. Speaking of things that drop dollars to the bottom line, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the the ad units is a reminder is is uh, this business Amazon has had for a while, but only broke out as a separate segment recently, um, and so now it's fun to see it every quarter. Uh, so it. Uh, Q2 of 2022 was up 21% versus uh, uh, the second quarter last year. Um, If you add up the last four quarters of ad revenue, it's $34 billion in ads that Amazon's selling. And Amazon doesn't tell us the profitability of these individual segments, but most people estimate that like uh, at worst, the advertising business is probably a 75% gross margin business. So, uh 75% gross margins on $34 billion makes the ad business more profitable than AWS for Amazon. So um healthy growth. Uh again, you think about all the other people selling ads, Google, Facebook, Snap, um, you know, are really struggling. But uh Amazon, you know, continues to grow and they're already the third largest advertising network in the US. So that's pretty impressive. Uh side note you know every every other retailer in the world is trying to replicate this this new ad business that Amazon has invented and they're all doing it you know with great success at a much smaller scale um so the you know the ad dollars are shifting from these uh kind of top of funnel content providers to these bottom of funnel retail networks that have first party data and don't have all these idfa uh problems that that others are facing so that's the ad business um, you know, separately Amazon has this subscription business which is mostly Prime, uh but a few other things mixed in there and uh you would expect that to be slowing down because they've, you know, hit they've saturated. They probably have uh, half of US households have have Prime accounts, but that's still growing at 14%, which again, um is pretty impressive and I think that's a picking up the rate of growth from last quarter. So, uh it's super interesting and impressive to me that these these plat- these sticky ecosystems are are particularly strong at Amazon. Um, and then, of course, everyone always talks about AWS. Uh, you know, I get and we'll talk about this later, but we get all these annoying tweets that like, oh, the only profitable part of Amazon is AWS. And it's great. It is great. Right. Uh, and and revenue there was was almost 20 billion dollars, 19.7 billion um, which was well ahead of the consensus, consensus estimates. It's a decent margin business. Like there is a lot of hardware and electronic electricity uh behind that business, but it, it's still pretty high margins. And um, you know, a lot of the world hasn't moved to the cr- cloud yet. So AWS has a lot of headroom in its TAM. Uh, but a lot of folks were worried that uh in these economic uncertain times that IT shops would be slowing down their migration to the cloud. And therefore, uh, AWS would would take a hit. And I want to say uh, Microsoft announced a, a slower rate of growth uh, before Amazon. So there was an expectation there that it might not be an awesome number. And and again, it was a pretty solid, solid beat for for AWS.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of the different operating units. And then um you know, again, Wall Street's kind of a "What have you done for me lately?" So then everyone's like, "Well, this is an anomaly. Surely, surely they're not going to be able to repeat this." Uh, and everyone said, "Number one, stop calling me surely. And then number two, uh, Amazon put out Q3 guidance, and basically both the revenue of that guidance and the profit were well ahead of what Wall Street had been thinking. the The revenue guidance was 125 to 130 billion, which at the midpoint is 15 percent. Um, growth, so uh, everyone was was quite pleased by that, and it basically made it feel like they were feeling very strong. Because remember, this is all seven twenty seven, so Amazon's got twenty seven date. They got about a third of the quarter already in the books, um, and it basically was a signal Amazon saying, "Yeah, we feel pretty good about the quarter right now." And Amazon had Prime Day in in the books as well, um, so that was good. And then the only thing wall street loves more than a beat and then raise so the beat is current quarter and then the raise was the going forward quarter is a beat raise and a buyback so then they also said oh and by the way we bought 3.3 billion dollars worth of stock in the quarter because we felt like the price of the stock was was kind of low <laughs> so so that was all very very well received and and really made amazon stand out from from you know substantially from the other both retailers and ad companies that had previously
1: reported. Yeah. So and then you got mean tweets go. Yeah. So here's, what's annoying. So I would say that that's a terrific quarter for Amazon, given the economic climate. Um, and you know, frankly, uh, exceeded my expectations in a, in a number of areas, uh, but, you know, there's room for lots of different interpretation. And a bunch of folks on Twitter, like, zoomed in on the profitability of the U.S. retail sector was down. And, you know, they jump on this whole, like, see, this is what we've always been saying. Retail is unprofitable. It's a loss leader for Amazon. Uh, you know, really, Amazon is just about AWS. And, and this, like, you know, silly retail thing is just a sideshow and there's no way to make money on it. Um, how do they get away with the law sweeter thing? Uh, Jason, don't I have that right? Like I got a bunch of tweets like that and I, I didn't respond because, uh, I'm not, uh, articulate enough to answer in a short tweet. So hopefully we'll make everyone listen to this, this whole podcast. But I would say you guys are all wildly wrong. <laughs> like it was a terrific quarter for Amazon retail. Like, and there's two things you're missing, uh, Gap profit is not the same thing as how many dollars flow to your bank account, right? Like, um, you know, how how much money Amazon decides to invest in new warehouses that are going to pay off in the future dramatically affects their profit. Um, and so it's it's almost silly to look at gap profit to say whether Amazon retail is a good business or not. But more importantly, um, all these profitable businesses that everyone's talking about, exist only because of retail, right? So that ad business I just talked about, people aren't coming to Amazon to consume ads. They're coming to Amazon to buy stuff and the ads show up, right? Um, and the other business that's impossible for Amazon to lose money on that's growing wildly is merchant services that you, you hit on. Um, the merchant services are because merchants want to sell stuff on Amazon on the retail platform. Um, and so it's, it's a little when people are talking about, Oh gosh, the retail business at Amazon's a loser, but the ad business is profitable. That's a little bit like saying the top, the content creation business at NBC is a total loser, but the ad business at NBC is a winner, right? Like, no, that they're only able to sell ads because they create that content. And in the same way, Amazon's only able to make money on merchant services and, uh, ads and to some extent on subscriptions because of this vibrant, strong retail business, um, that, you know, has more favorable characteristics than a lot of other big retailers in this current, uh, inflationary, potentially recessionary environment. So, um, I, I'm sorry, guys, I just, I think you're, you're wrong and wildly oversimplifying, uh, Amazon's uh, business model and economic circumstances. Yeah. Another framing that's kind of fun
0: is after, you know, retail has been around for what, like, I guess even longer, but I get, I always hear Sears like 150 years or something. Um, And you have all that history and it took Jeff Bezos to figure out, Hey, you can actually glom on these really profitable high margin businesses and make the whole thing better. And, there's a synergy synergy inside of there that enables you to do like they did this quarter where they can dial things up and down. Don't you think Walmart had more of that right now or Target or, you know, Macy's or any of these other retailers? So so in a way I think they're missing the point there to just pick out this one piece that can't be unintegrated and say that it's doing bad because you have to take the whole enchilada because they they designed you know, retail 2.0 by mixing all these things together in a unique way. No one figured out till they did.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. Uh, so, so props to Amazon and, uh, uh, keep on keeping on. Uh, I did want to, uh, I think we're over on time, but I just wanted to just like briefly hit on a couple non earnings related, uh, topics just to, uh, wet people's whistle. Um, so, uh, a, uh, we talked about prime day, uh there's a pretty significant leak that there's going to be a second prime day this year. So a lot, so a number of journalists have seen internal documents uh that talk about a thing called prime early access sale which is scheduled to happen this fall. Um and so most of us uh interpret that as likely going to be October, which again is when they accidentally had prime in 2020 because of covid. Uh so uh look look for more uh, there but like potentially Amazon will have a second prime day. To me, that's really interesting because I feel like the first prime day at this point is mostly about comps and people trying to match last year's prime day. And it's I'm not sure it's necessarily totally additive. Um, but adding a new sale if it if it works and and uh, uh captures sales in October, that could be interesting. So uh I I found that super interesting. Amazon launched a new product uh that maybe is only cool to me, but it's called Retail Story Analytics. And this is—they're taking all the data from all the cameras and all the just walk out stores, and they're selling it back to the brands. So you know, just like a you know a, a CPG can go to Amazon and find out how many glances they got on their their product detail page and how many add to carts they they got, they can now find out in a Whole Foods how many people looked at their package on the shelf versus how many people bought it. So they're they're monetizing uh, all the customer insights they're getting from these brick and mortar stores using all those cameras, which I thought was pretty cool. And then the last thing I'll leave people with is, uh, there, there were some significant articles talking about internal leaked memos, uh, about Amazon, uh, trimming its private label and its private label largely being unsuccessful and Amazon potentially moving away from private label. Um, and like, I don't think those articles are wrong, but I would just throw one, one piece of caution when you interpret those articles. I've seen no evidence that Amazon's moving away from any of its successful private label initiatives. Uh, so, so what's happening, Amazon has a huge amount of private labels. They have a ton of brands. They invented a bunch of them, never got traction, never caught on, never had significant sales. And I do think they're doing a rationalization of all of those. Um, but there still are, uh, Amazon private label, uh, brands, uh, that are doing quite well. And it appears that Amazon is doubling down on those. So, I guess what what I would say is that they're really focused on the head tail private label that's doing well. And they're they're kind of um, uh, rationalizing the long tail that was not doing well. So that is all of the Amazon news. And uh, it's a good thing because we've blown through our allotted time once again. As always, if uh, you found this episode valuable, we sure would appreciate that five star review on iTunes.